God, today we ask you to hear our prayers. We ask for healing. In a day where we are so connected to the world, set us apart. In a time of great unrest and uncertainty, we ask for holiness. So search our hearts, renew our minds, and help us love like you love us. Make us holy. Use us to do your will on this earth. God, today we ask that you would restore us. Gather up the bits and pieces of our souls and mend them with your loving hand. Search out those parts that we try to hide from you. Today, God, we invite you in. Our faith is in Jesus Christ. We trust you. May we be set apart for you. May we be holy. Well, good morning, everyone. Better that. Good morning. Good to see you. Hey, uh, just real quick, I got a note passed to me, and I want to just update everybody, just so that we're aware before I start the message. Uh, Carla let me know. She wanted to thank the National Honor Society for their food drive, and after that, that we have enough corn and green beans, over 86 cans of each. So thank you to those students that were part of that. Thank you to those uh, individuals who donated. For those of you that are interested, obviously, in providing for our Thanksgiving baskets, simplest way to put it is uh, we are doing quite well on corn and beans, okay? <laughs> awesome. Well, hey, good morning. I just want to take a minute, and I'd like to start off with a question. It's going to pop up on the screen here in just a minute, and I think we need to ponder this for a moment, and that is simply this. When I come to church, it's the pastor's job to make me feel good about myself, my life, and my actions, right? Interestingly enough, I want to take a moment, I want to let you know that I was made aware this past week of another pastor. He was quite influential, uh, has over 20,000 individuals going to their church on any given Sunday, and is followed by probably 65 to 70,000 people on video, who has now been essentially accused of false teaching. The doctrine that he was accused of was simply that this individual said what we've been discussing, that God wants to make you a better version of yourself. Now, in fairness, I don't want to put out this individual's name because this actually happened last week, and this individual has not had an opportunity to respond to the comment or repent of what has been stated. But the thing that was interesting to me was as I continued to read the article, my heart broke for what was stated by another individual, and that was simply this. A woman who attends this individual's church said that she doesn't believe in Jesus, but she has found comfort in the messages that this individual has been preaching for the past three years. 
something's terribly wrong here. And again, I'm not going to give this person's name because in fairness to this individual, they should have an opportunity to either give more information about the statement that was made or clarify the statement or, we pray, repent from what has been stated. But the concern that I have is simply this, that if individuals are in that church and they've been there for an extended period of time, and no message at any point in time made them uncomfortable, made them aware of their sin and need for a savior, made them aware of their spiritual depravity, made them aware of the fact that all of us are dead in our sin and there is no way that we can get to God except through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Help them understand that the reason that Christ went to the cross was not to make us a better version of ourselves, but to bring us from spiritual death to life. Something is terribly wrong. If those individuals feel comfortable, if those individuals feel good, trust me, I love being able to preach sermons that encourage our hearts. But as your pastor lovingly, my job is to move your soul through the gospel. God does the work. I'm not the one who does it. But if I am sitting here Sunday after Sunday making you feel better about who you are, yet at no point in time the Lord is convicting of the need of salvation or the drive toward being closer to God or moving through something in the word that you look at and it makes you squirm because it convicts your heart, making you realize that you are in sin and need to go to the Lord and ask for forgiveness. Something is terribly wrong. And so lovingly this morning, what I want to do is I just want to throw this out to you. An individual by the name of John Calvin says this, false teaching is easily identified by the fact that it is willingly received by all and to everyone's liking. Friends, I care about you and I love you, but my job is not to be popular or well-liked. My job is to teach and preach the message of the gospel for the salvation of your soul. And that's what we're talking about this morning. It's interesting that we're in this book and it's interesting that this has come about because again, what I want to tell you is this individual is predominant in today's, and I'm going to put it in quotes, Christian world. Extremely influential, extremely popular. And yet, once again, this individual is teaching a doctrine about God making you a better version of yourself. Now, God cares about us. God loves us. God wants us to be with him. But Christ did not die on the cross to make us a better version of ourselves. Christ died on the cross because we are dead in our sin and desperately need a Savior. Now, please hear me on this also. The joy is, is that Christ did this so that by grace, unmerited favor, through the mercy of God, we can go to him 
and say, hey, I am spiritually dead. I can't get to you on my own. I have no way to do this. And I need you or want you to be Lord of my life. And when we do, that's where the grace and mercy of God comes in and moves forward. But the other side of this is, too many churches are preaching a message of come as you are, stay as you are. Or come as you are because you're fine. God is just going to, quote unquote, make you better. The message is, no, come as you are. But what I want you to know is, as you are, you are spiritually dead. There's no way to get to God other than through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Christ went to the cross not to make you a better version of yourself. Christ went to the cross because we are dead in need of a Savior. And he is the perfect and only sacrifice so that we may have eternal life. The other thing that I want to tell you as we discover in the book of 2 Peter is not only are we meant to believe, not only are we meant to place our faith and trust in Jesus, but it clearly says in 2 Peter chapter 1 that we're to add to our faith. Now please hear me, I'm not saying that works bring about salvation. That's antithetical to the gospel. However, what is also antithetical to the gospel is salvation and that's it. Salvation will manifest in your heart a desire to be set apart for God and in being set apart for God, we will manifest works to bring about his glory and his name. And too often is the church listening to just this easy aspect of just believe and it's okay. Now, I'm not belittling salvation. It's extremely important. But friends, we're also to be sanctified. We're also to be different from the world. We're called out to do that. We have the Holy Spirit within us that will lead God and direct us to be different. But lovingly, what I ask of all of us is this. If, after having come to Jesus, our lives are no different, there is no change. God's kingdom is not more toward the forefront of our eyes than worldly pleasures and worldly passions. I'm not God, but what I'm going to say is that line is flat. And I said it before. When a line is flat in a heart monitor, what does it mean? You're spiritually dead. And so friends, what I want to ask is simply this. How is God driving your heart more toward him? Or better yet, is he? That's what we're talking about this morning. We're in 2 Peter. If you have your Bibles with you, we're going to be looking at chapter 3. But before I go into the content on it, I do want to just kind of review real fast so that we understand essentially where Peter is going. First and foremost, Peter is an apostle of Jesus. He was essentially um, fortunate enough uh, to be able to see Jesus in all of his glory at the transfiguration. He actually speaks to this in his epistle. He says, hey, I've seen Jesus as Lord. 
He went up, him, Moses, Elijah, James, and John had the joy of seeing Jesus in all of his glory. And then he comes back and he says, I've seen this, but I also want to let you know that in being fortunate enough to see this, we also have the word of God professed over the centuries to remind us and help us know who God is as well as what his plan is. And so as we read through the first chapter, essentially the summary of what's going on is Peter is first saying we're to have a real faith. I know I've said this multiple times, but the foundation of a faith is that it's real. What do we mean by this? That it's not religion. We don't just come to church to do certain things to appease a God who is far off, hoping that if we do, that perhaps this far off God may take notice of us and we may get into heaven, Mecca, joy, whatever it might be. No, we're to have a real relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So that's point number one. But then also, Peter goes on and he says, not only do you have a real faith, there is the foundation, but you're to have a growing faith. Uh, I'm going to just say this. I, I saw a sermon uh, preached by Francis Chan, and he starts off and he is drinking, and what he's drinking out of is a baby bottle. If I were up here and I were still drinking out of a baby bottle at my age, some of you would look and say, what's wrong? But friends, so many individuals are drinking out of a baby bottle and they don't even care. We're to move forward in our faith. We're to go to God and look to his word. And lovingly, what I'm going to say, and I know this is going to make some of you angry, my job is to teach and preach to you a message on Sunday. What are you doing every other day of the week? Because in exercise, friends, if you want to get stronger and you have a personal trainer and they come to you and you say, you know, I'm going to get stronger. I'm going to work out as hard as I can one hour a week. But by the way, if it goes over an hour, I'm going to get upset because I've got to go watch a football game, go be with my friends or whatever. And I'm expecting you to make me stronger. If I were that personal trainer, I would say, I love you, but I can't do anything for you. And so, friends, what I'm going to tell you is, is on Sunday, I will do what I can to deliver a message, but I'm exhorting you. What are you doing to grow in your faith every other day of the week? Now, non-legalistically, I'm not saying that you've got to do X, Y, and Z. This much time, this much there, this much that. We're individuals but I'm exhorting you to look deep into your life and say, how much of God is a part of my life on a regular daily living versus how much of God is it that I show up on Sunday, look my best, listen to a pastor, nod, check my watch when he's five minutes over, go home and forget about it for the rest of the week. And better yet, how much of it is that I want the pastor to tickle my ear? I want the pastor to tell me that I'm okay. I want the pastor to make me feel good rather than I want the pastor to convict me and perhaps make me squirm. And friends, what I'm going to tell you is, is that's not me. 
That's the Holy Spirit moving and convicting. And then what are you doing with it? Friends, John Calvin again says false teaching is easily identified by the fact that it's willing received by all and to everyone's liking. I've said before, just because a church is growing, just because a church is moving, doesn't necessarily mean that the Spirit of God is there. Perhaps it is, and praise God for it. A good tree does bear good fruit, but in the same verse, a bad tree bears bad fruit. And that's what Peter's talking about. He writes two epistles. The first epistle is essentially to external forces coming against the church. The second epistle is internal forces, people within the church distorting the message of the gospel. I've said before that most likely Peter is writing this between 64 and 67 AD, imprisoned in Rome, and this is essentially his swan song. Most likely he recognizes that this is going to be the end. I'm not getting out of here. I'm going to be martyred for my faith. And so to encourage the church to stay true to the gospel and not allow influences to come in and say, God didn't really mean that. God didn't really say that, did he? He writes this letter with an exhortation to look and be prepared for false teachers. It's not an if. It's a when. It's not an if. It's a when. And so we continue on, and as Second Peter goes, he says, we're to have a real faith, we're to have a grounded faith, we're to have a growing faith. He then goes into the second chapter, and he says, the reason for this is that there are false teachers whose lusts and passions are going to take away the message of the gospel for their own desire, their own prosperity, their own popularity, their own influence, their own whatever it might be. And he says, be careful. Because what they will do is they will lead you to their destruction, or to your destruction. And then he says, but, and that's where we are in chapter 3, be aware that the day of the Lord is coming. There is going to be a day of judgment. There is going to be a day when all will stand before God and make an account for what they did or didn't do. Now, please hear me again. That's not by works, right? It's by grace we are saved through our faith in Jesus Christ. But friends, what I want to tell you is, yes, praise God for it, but we will all stand before God in judgment. The joy that we have is, while we are judged, Jesus will stand in for those who have said, you are my Lord, and essentially say, hey, this person's mine. But a day of the Lord is coming. And that's where we find ourselves this morning in chapter 3. I'm going to read the first seven verses, and then we're going to sort of focus on the last couple of verses next week. Uh, Peter essentially says this, Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you, reemphasizing. I wrote one to you before. I'm writing this one to you again to remind you, be aware of external forces, but also be aware of internal forces. 
I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. Gospel message, true reality. To be able to say that if I got up here and I said, hey everybody, I want to tell you that Jesus wants you to know that God exists to make you a better version of yourself. You're fine. Go to Jesus and you're just going to be better. You're going to be happier, wealthier, wiser. Your marriage is going to be all the much stronger, etc., etc., etc. But we don't want to really talk about sin and need of salvation. I don't really want you to know that you're dead in your sin and need Jesus. I don't want you to recognize that even though God might exist to make you a better version of yourself, the problem with that is how can you be a better version of yourself if you're dead? God exists to make you a new creation. And that's what we are when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's wholesome thinking. And then he says, I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming that he promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present, presence, sorry, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Peter is exhorting the church to say, be careful and be wise. And so what I want to do is I want to take a few aspects of what's written in here to encourage us to be careful and be wise about our faith, but also to encourage you. How can you be wise about your faith? Friends, exercise it more than just Sunday. Verses 1 and 2, this is what we need to remember and recognize, that when scoffers attack, the faith of God's word is our foundation. Individuals are going to come. Essentially, they're going to begin to say, hey, this didn't happen. That's not important. Is this really real? And essentially, what he's saying is, when that happens, go back, and he wants us to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets. Essentially what Peter is saying, go back to the Old Testament and look at what those prophets said. Be mindful of what's been spoken there. And then he also says, not only do that, but look at the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. So look at what essentially the apostles are saying, obviously the ones now that we have who've written the New Testament. It's interesting because Peter is general. I've looked at this and there's, there's, there's I will, I'll, I'll be honest, there is some debate over, to, over the idea of command, okay? Is it a specific or is it general? And most of the commentators say that Peter is generalizing 
the commands that are given via the New Testament. Because sometimes people will say, okay, well, we know that it's just love the Lord your God as you love yourself and your neighbor and all those kind of good things. Now, that's a good thing, but I think more generally, Peter is saying, look at the command given by the apostles in the New Testament, the the whole of the New Testament writing. But where's your foundation there? When you hear something, do you line it up with Scripture? Or do you take it as gospel? Friends, I do the best that I can to try to extrapolate what's been written. But one of the things you need to remember is that the moment that my eyes come off the page as best as I can, that's interpretation versus the written Word of God. And so if I were to say something that is contrary to what's stated in Scripture, then there should be a question of, wait a minute, that doesn't seem to ring true. Hence, this individual who's coming forward and saying, God exists to make you a better version of yourself. So he says, essentially, we should look at God's word as our foundation, and then, essentially, again, the two points he's making, we should remember the words of the Old Testament prophets, and we should remember the command of Jesus spoken by the apostles. Go back to what's in God's word, not to what's popular, not to the latest, greatest, most popular, best-selling book. I've said before, just because a book is in the Christian section of a bookstore does not mean that it is Christian. Test it. Check it. See if it lines up with Scripture. I said before, The Shack, long ago, great book, everybody was talking about it, one of the most popular books out there. The Shack, The Shack, The Shack, The Shack. They made a movie on it. Now, I'm going to tell you, I'm not afraid of the shack. If you want to read it, that's fine. But I'm going to lovingly tell you, do not get your theology from it. And so Peter says, when scoffers attack, the faith of God's word is our foundation. But then he continues on, and it's interesting because in verses 3 through 6, this is what I think essentially what Peter is driving toward And that is this, that scoffers reject Christ's return because they overlooked God's direct involvement in history. Essentially, what they're doing is is they're being deistic at best in their approach. What that means is is they're saying, okay, maybe God exists, but he kind of just set the world in motion, and he's certainly not involved in creation or our personal lives or wanting a relationship with this. Peter says, first of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming that he promised? Friends, if someone gets into a pulpit and you've been with them for years and they never talk about the coming of the Lord and judgment, something's wrong. There is a day that is coming when Jesus will return and establish his kingdom. 
and we revel in that day and we're grateful for that day and we love that day if we are in Christ Jesus. If we are not, it is going to be a day of judgment. And so lovingly, non-popularly, what I tell you is this. That's why Christ died on the cross, because he desires that none should perish, but all should come to him. None should perish. Not he desires that everybody's fine and wants you to be a better version of yourself. And so lovingly, we're saved by grace through faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and there's blessedness within that. But the next question that I ask is this. How are we changed? Because truly, when we're confronted with the gospel, when the Lord works in our lives, we are changed. We're a new creation. And so these individuals will say, uh, yeah, you know, it's been a couple of days, it's been a couple of years. Friends, it's been thousands of years. Generations have come and generations have gone. And Jesus has not returned. Generations may come and generations may go and Jesus may not return. But he will return because he said it in his word. And this is what I want to show you, is when someone goes and says, God didn't say that, or God isn't going to do that, that's the very definition of being a scoffer. That's why Peter uses the word. Where is this coming that he's promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of new creation. They deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. They deliberately forget the creation account. They deliberately forget that God is the one who is intricately designed in the world and the creation of the heavens and the earth. He is the one who gets the credit. He is the one who has done this. And they also forget, interestingly enough, oh, he, he's not coming again in judgment. The earth was formed out of water and by water, but these waters also by that time were deluged and destroyed, speaking to Noah and the flood. Not going to happen. He's not going to do it. And so Peter says scoffer, and this is what I want to show you, because they're rejecting what God has said. And interestingly enough, this is going to kind of ring true in just a minute. I'm going, to, I'm going to tell you the reason that they're called a scoffer is because they're rejecting the honor or the integrity of what has been stated by the individual. And that's going to be made clear when I read this out of a commentary. In Peter David's commentary, he says, scoffers are mockers or those who insult others. So they mock or they insult which means that they are people who challenge the honor of someone or something. 
in this case, the honor challenge will be made against God. I'm challenging your honor, God. You didn't say that, or you didn't mean it. And this is going to become important because in a moment, we're going to see, obviously, why they're reserved for judgment. God says, and they then say, no, you didn't. Sounds quite familiar to me in another part of Scripture. And so, we look at this, and we realize that these individuals will twist the gospel, change the gospel, remove what's been said, to essentially give what they want to do, which is a license to continue in what they perceive their freedom of life. But I've said earlier, what they don't recognize is, is that they're a slave to their sin. And so if a slave is still enslaved to their sin, promising freedom by the path of what they're giving, what they're giving you is not freedom, they're giving you slavery to your sin. A slave who is still a slave cannot promise freedom. The one who promises freedom from sin is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He dies on a cross so that we may be free from sin. But also what I want to tell you is, is we're not free just to be free. We're free to what? Follow our Lord, our Master, our Maker. And so scoffers will come and they're going to essentially say, ah, don't worry about that stuff. You know, Jesus, Jesus wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. Jesus wants you to have a better life. Can I honestly ask some of you, after having come to Christ, has your life gotten better or has it gotten harder? And so often people, after coming to Jesus, when their life gets hard, hear these words that your life should be better and easier, and then they become confused, and they think, well, gosh, my life isn't better or easier, it's harder, so maybe I don't know God. And friends, what I want to tell you is this, look at the apostles. Their life wasn't easier, it was harder. Now, I'm not saying that we all need to be martyrs for our faith, but the question is, is does the kingdom, does Christ, does his glory, does his honor, does his magnitude supersede your desires, your plans, your wants, and your needs? If God comes and says, no, you're not going to have a better job. No, you're not going to get healthy. But by you, you will glorify my name so that others will see me and know me. Are you okay with that? Can you truthfully say, thy will be done, not my will be done? And then Peter continues on and he says, 
By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. He's reminding us that God, through his word, spoke into creation. Think about that for a minute. The heavens and the earth all that we see are spoken into creation and by the same word the current earth will be destroyed and remain for the kingdom of God. Do we realize that? Do we recognize that? Are we excited about that? Are our eyes turning toward that? As we draw closer Whatever day it may be, tomorrow or a thousand years from now or 10,000 years from now, are our eyes moving in a direction that is glory to God and not to ourselves? Or is it just make me feel comfortable, just make me feel good about who I am? so that I can feel good and then go home and come back again next week so I can feel good again. And friends, there are those messages in there where God works in your heart and drives and discovers those aspects where we realize just how deeply we are loved by God. But God is also a God of judgment. Interestingly enough, we look at this and we say, well, God didn't say that, did he? I mean, come on. Friends, Peter earlier says, go back to the Old Testament prophets and read their word so that you can be aware of what's being said that's false. Malachi 4, 1 through 2 says this, Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And that day that is coming will then set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left for them. But for you, but for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing on its wings and you will go out and leap like calves released from the stall. Friend, the, the joy of our salvation comes when we recognize who we truly have been saved from. And that's not to be a better version of ourselves. It's that we've been saved from life apart from God, which is existence in hell, eternal turmoil. And the joy of salvation is the fact that we don't have to do things on our own. We don't have to have our life perfect. We can come as we are. Broken, sinful, in need of a Savior, dead in our sin. All of us, myself included. And yet, because of what God has done through Jesus Christ on the cross, we can cry out to him and say, by your grace, through your mercy, Lord, I'm trusting in you so that I may have life. But then in having life, we have a new master. 
and that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's the sanctification aspect where we're set apart, make us holy, make us different. And so friends, what I want to tell you is this. I'm not saying that you've got to be Bible thumpers, but what I want to ask is, if you've come to Jesus and those whom are your friends don't know Christ, do they see a difference in you? You're not better than them. You're not above them. You're not holier than them. You're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But do they see a difference in you? Are they curious about that difference? Friends, what I want to tell you is this. Pastors' jobs are not to make you feel good about yourself, your life, and your actions. Pastors' jobs are to teach and preach the word of God to help you to see your need of him, to help you to drive toward him through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, to lovingly, yes, non-popularly, convict you of your sin to where most of the time you get mad at the pastor when you should get mad at yourself. And allow the word to convict your heart and transform you through the grace and mercy of Jesus. The take-home truth that I want to leave with you is this, that scoffers will be judged because they challenge God's honor by denying his involvement in history and the promise of Christ's return. They mock the honor of God. They say, surely he didn't say that. Surely he didn't mean that. That can't be true. And the reason that they're destined for life apart from God is because they're mocking his honor. And this is what I want to leave you with. I said earlier, it sounds familiar, doesn't it? Genesis 3, 1 through 4. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will die. You will sure not die, said the serpent to the woman. God didn't really say that. God didn't really mean that. God doesn't know what he's talking about. Don't honor God's word. pray. Father, we come before you this morning with joyous hearts, with grateful hearts. Father, I know that this message is one that isn't popular, but Lord, I pray that it will sink deep into each and every one of our hearts, mine included. But Lord, we will look to you, we will look to your word, 
Not that we have to be perfect. We are made perfect in Jesus Christ. But what we will do is, is we will look to see the message of the gospel, that we will take time to have a real growing and grounded faith so that not if, but when false teaching is around us, that we'll be able to say that's not the gospel. Father, again, as we do, may we not elevate ourselves above others. May we realize that we're all sinners in need of a Savior, that we're all saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But Father, just because someone has a large church and has all of these things and is very, very influential does not necessarily mean that the fruit that they're giving is good. And so I pray, Lord, that you will help us all to be discerning, to look to the tree and discern, is that good fruit? Then praise God for it. But if it's bad fruit, then Father, may we turn away from it. And Father, in that, may we recognize that we have the Holy Spirit within us that will lead, guide, and direct us as we exercise our faith. But Lord, help us to exercise our faith by going to your word, looking into it, reading it, asking questions, growing in you. And Father, as a community of faith, may we do so together. May we encourage one another in our walks. Father, may we realize that we all are growing in our faith and that we don't ever arrive. And so as we grow, Lord, may we look to you and may you be the one who encourages our hearts, drives us towards you. But Father, I also pray. I pray that not if, but when. The pastor says something in the pulpit that pricks our heart, that convicts us of our sin, that we would look to you and go to you and ask you for your forgiveness, your mercy, and your grace, and that that would transform and change us more into the image of our Lord and Savior. Lord, not so that we can then elevate ourselves above other people, but so that we can truly and wholly reflect the joy and the blessedness of Christ in our lives. And Father, with that, we're just grateful for all that you do. Father, help us to be wise, that in those moments where our heart might want to say, God didn't really say that. It's okay. You will not surely die. That the Holy Spirit will convict and will say, get away, back off. That's God's word and that we will honor it with our hearts and our lives as we move forward in our walk with you. We thank you. We love you. We pray these things in your name, dear Jesus, and we ask it all by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Amen.